Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Brian Elsesser to the show. Brian, welcome. Hey, thanks, Jeremy, for having me. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Brian's a few things. One, he's the Senior Director of Sales Development at Aircall. Uh, he is also a volunteer fireman sitting in a firehouse now. So if you hear beeping, he's got to check that out uh, because <laughs> it, it could be important. But Brian and I have been friends for a long time. So uh, just going to have a chat today about the future of B2B sales. That's going to be our topic. But I'll ask Brian the same question I ask all my guests, which is, Brian, can you reference a uh, one of your favorite sales books of all time and and maybe one or two things you learned from it? There's a book that I've read recently that um, I've been just touting to the to the moon and back and asking everyone to go read, which is Sea Stories by uh, Admiral William McRaven, which is a collection of different things that he had to overcome and go through in his career in the Navy. What I love about it is it's like this sheer book on determination and in leadership in a way on what it's like to go through some perilous moments and stressful moments in a career but then the impacts or the the outcomes that came from those. And I, I've, I took a lot away from that into my own career. I, I usually find that there's some, some element of uh, parallel between military and sometimes the business world. Well, great. Well, we're going to brainstorm now on our topic, which is the future of B2B sales. And I thought maybe a, a good way to start that is to first maybe frame out some scenarios uh, let's talk about like post-coronavirus scenarios that are on your mind. I feel like there's a couple different ways this could play out. You know, first one being that, you know, okay, well, let's say we go back and nothing changes. It's like, all right, well, we got through that. I think that would be wild. And I think it would be blind to the fact that we all just made it through X amount of months in this remote environment. The second opp- opportunity is that we come back and I see it as like a, a hybrid, you know, hey, we've realized that we are okay maybe having that cultural significant encounter with our peers in person, but also being open to more of those, you know, remote work opportunities as well, being that we've been able to do so, you know, successfully, or perhaps there are some teams out there that are like, this was so successful, so wonderful that in fact, we're going to go full remote. That makes sense to me. It's like back to normal, hundred percent remote, something in between, I was trying to think of other shifts that have happened in the past. And one of the big shifts that happened in my lifetime was the move from kind of cubicles and corner offices to completely open workspaces. So a work shift has happened in the workplace already. So it stands to reason one could happen here. Let's take the scenario where everything goes remote. What are some of the leading indicators that might suggest that that was going to happen? I think the leading indicators for full remote is that you're seeing teams continue to perform with the run rates or the you know success rates that they had, if not accelerated. Put it this way, office space, especially if you're in, if we're talking SaaS, you're usually in a big tech mecca, right? Like you're going to be in New York City or Austin or San Francisco. Office space is not cheap. Uh, these spaces are, are wildly expensive. And, you know, in terms of dollar for dollar return, you know, that old, um, long-term value over, you know, cost of acquisition metric, LTV over CAC, you're looking at probably an increased return on your investment of your people in a remote environment when you're not paying for office space. So there's something probably to be said there. I think what's also interesting, though, too, 
there's a lot happening even in the cultural shift of making sure we're having more diverse landscapes in our work environment. And I think what's interesting is that there are a lot of parents that can't come and travel into a tech mecca for work. And maybe this provides an opportunity for new employees that maybe perhaps we weren't having otherwise. I actually was thinking about shifting cultural expectations, right? Which is like, it used to be if you were working from home and a kid walked in or uh, the dog barked, it was sort of news. But I think what's changed now is, right? I mean, I'm on Zoom meetings all day long and I have three cats and my cats will like jump up on my computer and jump in front of me. And I think now it's, you don't even, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you know, Jeremy, I've been talking forever about like the human to human connection that's so necessary in sales. We're people. And for some reason, we've had this mask in business where it's like, you know, the shirt and tie was a mask of, it was like your costume, your Batman costume you put on before you went to work of hiding who you were. And I think what's slowly happening over time is that that norm has been broken down. Embrace the kids, embrace the pets, embrace your lifestyle that you have and live and who you are. Um, And I've always had the rule on my team, it's be true to yourself first, because that's really the reason I hired you in the first place. Let's say we do go to remote work. And I mean, you hire a lot of young, typically early career professionals. What do you think are some of the training and onboarding implications? Because I worry about that, right? As you hire someone who has very limited work experience, may have never been a BDR before, you know, now they're at home. What are some things we can do to help people be successful as remote SDRs? I think there's probably never been a case, a more important case for a really robust LMS system, you know, a learning management system. There are some really great ones out there that are high accountability, high interaction, can't really BS it systems. And in an environment like this where everybody's remote, that's where Zoom's going to be really important. That's where Gong is going to be really important or a chorus is going to be really important, right? Like these, these tools where you can give constant coaching and feedback. You can be a part of the conversation. You can do a lot of what needs to be done. I mean, even I use Air, my own company software, AirCall, I mean, and I can coach that call live, you know, and, and give direction and whisper into their ear as they're talking if, if needed. And it's not always something you want to tout because it can be distracting, especially to someone new. But if the shoe fits in the moment, then you go with it. That's really the environment that you need to be structured and thoughtful in building out your tech stack and using your tech stack to its entirety. Because there's a lot of tech out there that we all use that sometimes we only use about 20% of it. When in fact, if you use the full hundred, you can do a lot more with it. I think one of the big challenges with a lot of tech is is just getting people to use what they've already purchased, right? Is adoption. But you, you know, you talked about segments and right. I mean, you know, we're in a segment sales enablement, you know, the telephony segment that you guys are in conversation intelligence, learning management, like all those are potential beneficiaries. One you didn't mention that was interesting to me is is Slack, but I, oh. I know you, that's that's in the category too. What was weird is before this all happened, I started to, there was a little bit of this moment in the zeitgeist where people were, the right word is ambivalent, like love-hate with Slack, that, that they sort of love to be able to use it to get in touch with other people, but they hated the interruptions that it caused yeah. in their day. I feel like that's shifted. It's like Slack has now become essential and you'll look past the interruptions because it's it's a way to stay connected with your colleagues. I still struggle with the love-hate relationship with Slack because I think that there's definitely a lot of use for it and importance to it. 
my disdain for it has slowly been turning around over the past couple of weeks here as I've, I've been using it more and more. Um, but I'm usually that guy that hits the do not disturb button and <laughs> then forgets to come back online. I think that's, I mean, I think that's healthy though. And probably even Slack would encourage that. I, I have this practice that I adopted from this book called deep work. Mm. And I actually put these deep work blocks on my calendar. I'll, I'll, I'll put a two hour block and during those times, yeah, I'll turn on the do not disturb and turn off all those things, turn off my email. Being remote for many people gives them that extra element to take a step back in their day at certain points and actually turn off. Out here, what I've noticed is that I've literally walked away from my computer or my work and I'm, I'm actually turning off for a minute. And what's interesting is that I've had a lot more clarity on my thoughts than maybe I usually have because there's not so much rush or urgency or things being taken or needed of me in that moment. Yeah, I mean, it gets at it gets at focus. It also gets at productivity, right? As the typical commuter, you know, you might be looking at a easily hour plus or minus twenty minutes commute for most people into work. So now you've got this massive humans who have gained, you know, two hours. I mean, that time can be used in, in a lot of ways. Like in theory, it can make you a lot more productive, but you, you do have to maintain a degree of professionalism. Mm -hmm. Professionalism, I think, is also holding yourself accountable to what you're, is expected of you and being mature enough to go and do that in day in, day out, knowing what you need to get done, um, especially if you're in a leadership or a senior role, like you have to do the extra mile regardless of where you are. And I think what the reason why so many businesses have had a hard time with the remote aspect is because they struggle with trust. If you really truly trust your team to get their work done, that they're going to be able to get their work done outside of your you know, ability to see it being done in the office, then remote works. If you have a hard time thinking that, well, they're going to really not be focused or they're going to you know, slack off on their professionalism or they're, they're going to take a, a back seat and sleep more and they're, you know, how do I even make sure they're doing their stuff? then it's really a trust thing. And I think actually, first and foremost, it makes you really identify, one, how are you leading that team? Two, how are you doing your check-ins and your accountability? And three, like, are you mentally set up, not just you as the leader, but is your team mentally set up and prepared to live up to the expectations that you have for that environment? Maybe part of it is that all these managers were so conditioned on coming into work, right? And and maybe the managers themselves felt like when they were at home, they were not productive. And therefore, that trust was not there. And But now they're forced to be at home. They're forced to be productive. So I, I do think it's a, it is a shift that is going to happen as a result of this. The middle road scenario, though, is probably most likely is like, we'll figure out that there are certain jobs that didn't require the, the in-office collaboration and will allow for sort of less office space. These issues about especially like child care and elder care and things like that. And those things need to be accommodated. The other thing we didn't talk about, we talked a little bit about like SDRs and early career professionals. What about the impact on later career professionals, right? As of, let's say, account executives or enterprise account executives, like how might the life of the enterprise account executive have changed whatever it is, three, six, 12, 18 months from now? It's really hard for me to, to feel like it would, right? Like, and I'll, I'll explain, you know, you're already doing outside sales. You're already probably working mostly remote. I don't know that their life really changes that much. I think that's for them, this is kind of like, oh yeah, we're all going remote. But 
I've always been. So, okay, back to work. <laughs> I mean, there's an element of... <laughs> yeah, but, I, but my, my counterpoint to that is, is yes, big-time enterprise sellers, you just didn't see them in the office. Right. But they were constantly on the move, right? Yeah. Like they were on airplanes yeah. racking up their 100,000 miles a year. The threshold for where inside sales and outside sales, field sales boundary was has crept up and up and up over time slowly. This could be the moment where, you know, it, it, it was going into this, that 100K plus deal was something that absolutely required face-to-face. Yeah. And maybe a lot of face-to-face. And maybe that threshold bumps up is like, maybe anything under a million dollars doesn't require hopping on an airplane anymore. I don't know it it has anything to do with the selling side. I think it has everything to do with the buyer and their expectations. And I think that if the buyer's expectations have shifted to allow for that conversation to continue in a remote environment and setting, then game on. But if the buyer's expectations are, hey, you know, we've gotten through this. I expect you in my office. I'm going to sign this deal. Like it's really on them. It's not really as much on us. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you challenge that because I think it is a, a fundamental human thing. And this brings it all back together with trust again, that there is something primal about seeing somebody face to face, shaking their hand, yep. getting to know them to some extent personally. Anytime you're doing these kind of bigger deals, I mean, as long as you can, as long as it's healthy to do so, then we'll most likely get back to to the face-to-face meetings. Well, if people do need support for their telephony needs and want to learn more about Aircall or want to get in touch with you, what are the best ways to do that? First off, if you want to get in touch with me, get me on LinkedIn right away. You can also get me at Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, at aircall.io. It's the quickest way to get me via email. I, I will say as a quick little thing there is that like Aircall really understands that this is not the most ideal setup for most companies that to be in a remote environment, but we're trying to help the best we can and, and help, you know, teams that are unaccustomed with this do it the right way and 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 as successful as possible. I think that ultimately we're a big community in sales and we're all going to go through this together. We're all going to come out together and it's going to be on all of us to ensure that we're doing so successfully. So we're prepared to do our part in that. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. Paige McCauley is our producer. Peter Lepinto is our editor. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.